0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lock Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined, as always, by Trevor. If you're listening to the podcast right now, you won't notice anything different, but if you're watching, you'll notice the camera probably doesn't look as good and the screen's off behind us, and that's because our camera randomly, something about it broke. I don't really know Apparently. what happened, but we, we went to plug in the continuous power supply and fire it up, and, uh, you know, it's dead. It didn't want to work, so we'll try to get that fixed by next week, but for this week, um, we're just using the webcam on our our laptop, so not a huge deal, but we do have, um, I think it'll be an interesting show. We have kind of two main talking points in addition to our segments of Trevor's Trivia and make that call, the first being the Foundation End of the Year Awards. Um, very prestigious. Yeah, you know it's a it's a very coveted title. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> First annual. First annual. Uh, I think I feel like we did it last year, but um, I could be wrong there. But basically, what we're going to be doing is just giving you different, you know, the player of the year, shot of the year, surprise player of the year, and performance of the year. Give our opinions on those. Um, we are going to have to agree. Because the foundation, foundation is giving them this title. So Trevor and I disagree currently, but we're going to have to agree on some of these. Um, so we'll have to debate that out. And then we'll hop into Trevor's trivia. And then over to a great question that was brought to us by Discord, talking about at what point are players in their prime in disc golf? Yes. So let's just start it straight off with the player of the year. We're, each of these is going to have an FPO and an MPO category. So player of the year, FPO, page page i mean this one i don't really think we need to debate or make an argument for no um it's pretty unanimous she was pretty dominant all year um there's not really another player that scratched scratched the surface of her uh dominance really i mean it's nah, yeah. still it, the best. there's nothing else really that close to her i mean katrina allen had a decent year um Haley king had a strong finish missy gannon had a decent year there were some other you know pros at won, Ellen Woodboom had a great win. Sarah Holcomb was up there some, but every time the story of the tournament was they beat they beat Paige. Right. So I think that was a pretty pretty straightforward answer. I don't think anyone would disagree with that one. No. Now the second one, MPO, I think we both agree on this. We do now, after looking at the the facts. So when it, when we first said we were gonna do this and it was the MPO player of the year, immediately my head I went Calvin Heinberg.
1: Yeah, I did too. And I think we actually talked about that like a few podcasts. I think ago. we yeah, actually, we actually said And we said. were like, yeah, I think it would be Calvin until yeah. we saw um, the stats.
0: And I can already hear you guys who listen to this podcast and might not like us saying, oh, these guys are just Macbeth fanboys. So I brought statistics to back this up, and yeah. a lot of them. Um, because I think that after looking at statistics, because I was looking at statistics to prove the Calvin Heinberg point, and it proved me wrong that it, it is Paul. Paul. It's should,
1: impossible to argue
0: against. Paul should be the player of the year. So, we'll look at it category by category.
1: Elite Series wins. We'll just start off by saying all of these categories, just name each category, and Paul leads all of these categories.
0: Okay. Elite Series wins. Elite Series top threes. Elite Series top fives. Elite Series top tens. Elite Series average finish. Elite Series Harmonic Mean, which that's a U-Disc thing. We're not we're not U-Disc. Ulti uh, World thing that yeah. I don't fully understand, so we're not even going to really matter with that. So average finish. Then USDGC finish, he did not lead. Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship finish, he did not lead. Total winnings, he did not lead, but average winning per event, he did right. lead. So but as far as the finishes and wins, he either he leads every category, leads or is tied for the lead Right. in every single category.
1: So with that being said... If you're making an argument for player of the year, obviously it's going to be result based because that's how the game works. Yeah. So, how on earth can you and like I initially didn't realize it was this obvious, but like how could you argue against that? He he is tied or leads in wins, top 3s, th- top 5s and top 10s and average finish. And average finish. And
0: the average finish is by basically a full place yeah. over who would be the next closest player in Calvin Heinberg Right. Now you might be saying why aren't you considering Eagle in this? Eagle has he ties for the Elite Series wins and then doesn't even come close in the top threes, top fives, or top tens. And his average finish is seventh place, whereas Paul's average finish is third place and Calvin's average finish is fourth. Right. Um, That's all I need to hear for that. Like, I mean, yeah. go ahead and try and make an argument against that, but like, I don't see it. If we directly compare Paul to Calvin, Elite Series wins, they both have two. Elite Series top threes, Paul has seven, Calvin has six, Elite Series top fives: Paul has ten, Calvin has seven. Elite right. Series top tens: Paul has eleven, and Calvin has eleven, bringing Paul's Elite Series average finish to three point five, whereas Calvin's is four point five. So here
1: is here is the argument that people are going to make, and here is because Calvin was the closest to Paul in those categories, and they had the same amount of wins, right? Two, yes. Yeah, so he's the one you could make the argument for. You
0: could try to make an argument for Chris Dickerson. No, well he he's the second closest average finish on the year.
1: I don't. I don't think you could
0: though. Well, I'm just saying, if I in my eyes looking at this with a USDGC win, I would actually say that Chris Dickerson is closer to Player of the Year than Calvin Heimberg. Wasn't Calvin is.
1: Heimberg runner up at USDGC? Yeah. Yeah. So no. My thing is, people are going to make the argument that Calvin could have gotten it, and I would say if he would have won USDGC, if that would have been one of his Elite Series wins, if he would have still been tied with Paul, and he had a major like that, he had the Pro Tour finale or the USDGC, I could have give you that, but like. The fact that he didn't, I don't know. I, I guess I won't be mad at you if you say it's Calvin Heinberg, but it, I, it well, seems like
0: Paul. I think why, if you just go off your opinion and gut, it feels like Calvin Heinberg is this isn't the year Paul normally has or we've come accustomed right. to, which I think we'll talk about some in the prime, se- prime sector of this. But, you know, uh, two wins, whatever. But, you yeah. know, his average finish being 3.5, that also sounds like whatever. But there right. was more. Because it hasn't.
1: It hasn't really been Calvin's breakout year, but it's been his first year where he's just constantly at the top.
0: He's always up there, right. and Paul were used to always being up there, mm-hmm. and Paul didn't win as much as we're used to. Yeah, so I think that's where it doesn't feel like a uh, Paul McBeth Player of the Year. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be surprised if Paul didn't get Player of the Year from the PDGA. Yeah, it wouldn't even surprise me, and I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even like be no, that upset because they gave because it to
1: Calvin. I'd be like,
0: sure, Calvin had a great year, but if I was Paul and they gave it to Calvin, I'd be upset. Yeah, because I'd, I'd like be like, look, I beat him here, 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 here. Like, look at the stats. Yeah. Because once I looked at the stats, I was like, it's. I mean, as a person deciding the player of the year for nothing other than bragging rights, to no one will brag It's Also with. the highest rated still. So yes, I, yeah. I don't too. like I don't like factoring ratings in because that can be that could be as simple as Calvin going to play a C tier one time that Paul didn't play in and that hurting his rating. Sure. You know what I mean? That's why I don't like ratings being factored in because then if you're only concerned about ratings, Calvin would you know like Paul never play outside of the pro tour really or even Paul coming to a B tier at the battle for Bedford this year you know that could have hurt his rating he's still the best in the world but you you understand what I'm saying as far as rating goes he's the best in the world but as far as Ricky might play more obscure A tiers or Eagle might play more weird A tiers that hurt their rating I hate I hate that trying to compare players according to their rating because there's way too many outside factors um I almost said something else about ratings, but I'm going to hold off on that. <laughs> Jeez. There's something that I want to validate that I saw posted on Facebook. That is, if if it's true about the rating and how much money was paid to, for the rating system, I saw it posted in a Facebook comment um, that I would like to bring up if that's true. <laughs> but I need to oh, I need to make sure it's before out, that. It's out in the world, now. it was in a Facebook comment. So, mm. um, but you know, you can never really trust Facebook comments. So now we're on to the shot of the year. I think player of the year we can wrap it up, right? There's no more real to say about it, Paige and Paul. Yes. From for our opinion. Yes. I think the I think the PDGA might have different opinions, but yeah. for our opinion, Paige and Paul. Shot of the year. I want to hear your two cuz I think I think we come at this from a different angle on shots of the year as far as what could qualify for. So FPO and MPU. I want to hear both of yours first before I give mine.
1: I'm going to give the FPO shot of the year to Haley King's putt. To win the pro tour finale
0: okay so never mind we tied on that one <laughs> that was mine yeah. too and it I'm, was just icy
1: yeah it it was pretty sick and i'm gonna give fpo shot of the year to paul's ace at maple hill you mean mpo did i say fpo again yeah yeah mpo um okay why i'm saying that because a lot of for a lot of the main reasons because it was like one of my favorite shots of the year just to watch i can't I first I looked back and I was like, where was there some huge shot in one of the big events? It didn't help that there wasn't as many big events this year mm-hmm. to like look back at, like especially like not having worlds. But in USDGC even like I can't think of like
0: a certain uh, like shot that was shot. like a,
1: yeah. So like because that wasn't there, I was like, what's just a shot that I thought was like awesome this year and like that was like a, that whole played super hard. It was eating players alive this year. I
0: mean, if I'm not going on what I'm about to. If I was picking on shot that was in a clutch moment or had something to do with the tournament, I'd go Chris Dickerson seventeen. Yeah, I guess you as, could as go that, with that. I mean, because like that is the shot that right. secured I mean, him the could US You practically UC pick win. that every year, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't like picking that, and that's why I'm not picking that. But I feel like yeah. you could because like you're right. That shot happens every year, but that could also be the shot of the year every year because that shot normally it was just super. The
1: this one was just super like picturesque, like really cool looking ace. It was super pure. I was so, watching it live.
0: That is also a big part. My shot of the year, we're going to have to debate this This because it is also an ace. It's Kevin Jones' ace at the Skins match. Now, you might say, Hunter, that's not even in a tournament. That's what Trevor's about to try to argue. It's Um, It's dumb. It's not dumb because it was filmed, and not only was it filmed, but it's probably like the most shared shot this year. It was shared on SportsCenter. It was shared on ESPN's Instagram, SportsCenter's Instagram, multiple times, even making them after it shared it, that did so well. They created an additional post that was just dedicated to disc golf shots, Here's bringing back the Philo Albatross. I think that shot of the year, sure, this wasn't like a deciding moment in a tournament. Heck, it wasn't even in a tournament. It was in a skins match. But I think that shot, if you have to pick one singular shot that did the most for disc golf this year, as far as reach, expanding the sport, I would say it's Kevin Jones' ace when where he felt. was fell. that the
1: criteria? Criteria. Since
0: when was it not the criteria? We made these rules up.
1: And I'm making them even more. The, okay, what's the criteria? It should have to be like a, like you should stay within the realm of our sport of disc golf.
0: This is our sport of disc golf. What do you mean?
1: No, but not like the outside world's perception of what that shot. Like Okay. Or else they could think a 90-foot putt was amazing. Here's my thing too. Kevin Jones' shot, while yeah, it looked cool, it, it I think overall it wasn't the look for disc golf that I'd want to see on sports center. Like I don't want to see a guy slipping off the front of the tee pad and it goes in. Like that was I, a sick shot. If you look at the comments, nobody was talking about, nobody was saying in the comments, man, that was a really cool shot. Like disc golf looks cool. They were like, Oh my gosh, it looks like he tore his ACL. Like, wow. Like the dude, I don't know if it was like the right kind of exposure. I didn't like, when I saw that, like I was like, I wish we had a cooler shot. Like when Philo shot was on ESPN, that was cool. Like, if Kevin Jones doesn't slip off that tee pad, does that shot even go in? Probably not.
0: That's sick. Like,
1: I, like, I don't know. It's just like, I never like thought it was like that cool. So what's the
0: difference between my shot and your shot?
1: My shot actually like counted for a disc golf event.
0: Did Paul win Maple Hill? Yes. Was Did. that shot crucial to him winning Maple Hill? I actually don't know if he won or wait. not. I was asking a legitimate question because <laughs> I couldn't remember. Right? But regardless, he, was that shot wait, crucial? He went up
1: there north and he played two events. Green he, Mountain, he lost. And then he won the second one. He definitely won one of those events up there.
0: Then that would be Maple Hill. Are we crazy right now? <laughs>
1: he did. Cause he oh, because he, he jump putted the, that one in. Yeah, on no, the last hole.
0: And he also had a bathing suit ready yeah, okay, to jump in. Yeah, okay. All right, so there you go. But was that shot crucial to him winning the event? Sure was. Like, was that momentum. the momentum? Was that the shot that won him the event? Yes. No. So, your the, shot only, no, stupid. No, the only difference between your shot and my shot is yours. I don't yours. Even need to
1: argue for my shot being, like, the greatest. Like, I'm sure there's better ones this season I'm forgetting, but, like, your shot stinks.
0: Your, the only difference between my shot and your shot is what I'm saying. They're even at the same course. only difference between my shot and your shot is yours in a tournament. Yeah. It got shared right. way less. It got talked about way less. It, it only is, got shared more because he slipped. So? what is the parameters for that like why is that like like, it's random it's more it's
1: random it's more random and lucky
0: since he fell it's not the shot of the year yeah. Just because he
1: fell. Yeah, if he'd have thrown that... Well, also... Just because he fell.
0: No, because it was in the Skins match, too.
1: It wasn't in the like an actual event. But my thing is... like, I don't think... If you were looking for like a shot of the year in the NBA season, you people, wouldn't go to the All-Star before game you said or it, some exhibition match to find it. You would find a match or a shot from an actual game that counted. Then you'd find like a game winner or something. You wouldn't pick some random... I'm just saying... You wouldn't pick mine, a random Steph Curry disqualified. 3. disqualified. It's not. <laughs> like, it's yeah, not disqualified. You, imagine, like, imagine looking for a PDGA shot of the year and going to a Skins match. It wasn't even in a PDGA-sanctioned event.
0: But I'm looking at it because okay, it's dumb. Yeah, you're you know you know it now. <laughs> that, uh, it's not dumb. I stand by stupid. it. When you look at when you when no. you think back on 2020, no one will even remember Paul's ace on hole eight. Why would it'll they? be shown every once Next in a while? Next year,
1: when they play that hole, they'll probably replay that shot if they know what they're doing. And they will
0: absolutely replay Kevin Jones shot even if they don't know what they're doing. I'm just okay. Mess. I don't care about in the future, this whole exposure argument in the future no matter it. whenever disc golf I'm is shown your shot disqualified. qualified it's not disqualified, it didn't though. count
1: it wasn't even a real event
0: it doesn't count that's dumb
1: therefore that's shot dumb. of the year goes to that par putt that chris dickerson missed <laughs> on hole 17 finale <laughs> that was shot of the year because he should have won back-to-back majors and he missed a par putt that was like 15 feet no air balled it
0: the shot of the year is kevin jones no, it's not.
1: Period. That doesn't count. Disqualified. Man literally slid.
0: But he... They, okay, whatever. Whatever. Let us know in the comments down below. We'll let you decide. I don't even... I don't even Or it DM odd. us if you're listening to this. You don't have to this. agree that my shot was a shot
1: of the year. I don't even care about my shot. Stupid. Whatever. That <laughs> is not the shot of the year. <laughs> Kevin Jones falling
0: off the front of the tee pad. I don't get like... Him, why is exposure not factored into this? Why do you not want that factored it's not in?
1: not the right exposure.
0: Who are you to decide what's the right exposure? I am the final say. <laughs> you are not. None of us are.
1: I don't need Richard Jefferson in the, in the comments. Exposure. I don't need
0: Richard Ke-
1: Jefferson in the comments like, oh, that dude just tore his ACL. That's
0: Richard Jefferson finding out about disc golf. He doesn't know anything about disc golf. He does now. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. He just saw a man golf, slip and fall. If he hears the word disc golf, he's going to immediately think back to the shot of the year. Kevin Jones. Like that off that
1: sport where guys slip all over the place and it, sometimes it goes in.
0: No one's thinking that. No one, and you know that You're I You're just like saying it. it for the shock I didn't factor like it one. How bit. do you not like it? I hated it. You did not hate it. We both yeah. freaked out.
1: <laughs> I thought it was crazy, but I wasn't like impressed. <laughs>
0: Are <laughs> you not impressed? <This laughs> because it was, was lucky. TV. The man literally slid. Every ace is lucky, An ace no. is a bad. Yes, an ace is a bad shot you that found the basket.
1: Mm, that, that's not true.
0: That is not unless true. it's an
1: intentional. I'm going for the ace. Yeah, but no, then it's a bad shot going 40 feet deep. Some of them. That one that Paul threw in, floated into the basket. It literally floated. It would have landed like a foot behind the basket. And that shot hard.
0: didn't matter in the tournament. That didn't. But that your, didn't that, win that, him the your, tournament. Your
1: comment just. You just contradict yourself. You just said that every ace is a what I'm shot saying that 40 is 40 feet you're past the pick, basket. If you're going to pick something
0: to argue with about the shot of the year, it should be a shot if it's, like, it's got to be an I'm not arguing for
1: my shot. I'm arguing against yours. Oh, my gosh. All I had to do, I could have picked any five-foot putt, and it would have already beat yours. It's like it's like longest drive, and yours landed 1,000 feet into the rough, so it's disqualified. Mine went 10 feet forward, but it's in the fairway, so it wins. That's the analogy. You have to hit the fairway to win longest drive. You have we, to actually be shooting in an awards. event. It has is, to be in an event to win the shot of the year. This is our awards. It doesn't. We can make up the own rules. I could rules. throw this pillow into the basket and win shot of the year if it was sanctioned right now. <laughs> no,
0: because it wouldn't count. Shot of the year. <laughs> All right. We're moving on from there. You decide in the comments below or if you're listening to us, DM us on, fa- on uh, actually, anywhere. Actually, send us the clips
1: of the shots too, please, so we can look at them. Or like refer us to the links.
0: No, I want them to decide between my shot and your shot. That's not going to happen
1: because they both stink.
0: Next. Okay. Surprise player (laughs) of the year. FPO and MPO. I'll give mine first on this one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, On the FPO side, this was actually kind of a toss-up between two players for me. Okay. Which was Haley King and Missy Gannon. I looked at their years back close, right next to each other, and I decided to go with Haley King, mainly because of her breakout at the very end in the Pro Tour finale. I think that, you know, we knew she was good we predicted she would win a lot more events than she did mm-hmm. pretty much every week we were saying she has a chance to win, but I think that she's still, if you look at the year as a whole was probably one of the surprising stars See, in FPO.
1: I wouldn't name her breakout player of the year because next year I think she's going to be breakout player of the year. This is
0: surprise player of the year. We didn't go breakout. Okay. But okay. Next year, I think she's gonna be surprise player of the year. Okay. Well, I gave it to her this year. I'm a year ahead of it. All right. All right. And uh, on the MPO side, It was a little bit more kind of obscure. I was looking at Ezra Adderhold or Kyle Klein. And Kyle Klein had a much better year. Yeah. So Kyle Klein, I I feel like last year we didn't know his name, like at all. Yeah,
1: that's a good pick.
0: So I'm going with Kyle Klein and Haley King. Um let's hear yours and then we can hash it out. Right. I got some resentments, whatever you say is wrong. Okay. Well, honestly,
1: MPO, I picked Dickerson just because not because Like it's surprising that he's good, but it's surprising to me that he played as well as he did when I look back at his stats. Like he was a top five player this year. I didn't didn't know he had that in him. I think, however, however,
0: well, I'm gonna just say that I I understand, but like I've seen Dickerson play multiple times, so like it wasn't. But it wasn't a surprise to me. No part of that was a surprise. I didn't realize
1: he was still gonna be able to be that competitive on tour. But I didn't surprise. That me. being said, I would I would lean to to yours. Kyle Klein was surprising. I feel like he was more surprising because we didn't know he existed before this year. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, I Chris would, Dickerson, I'm we fine knew was good. Yeah, I'm fine with that. The, and on the FPO side, I took a bit of a twist to this one. My surprise player is Paige Pierce, and I'm surprised at how Damn, little she won. I'm not surprised that like <laughs> oh she had a great team. I'm surprised at how little she won because when I watched. FPO Paige Pierce is still like so good,
0: but she had a dominant year.
1: She lost. We decided she lost six times. That seventh one was some weird lead. She lost six times. I would expect her to lose like twice as as good as she is. But I mean, compared to the field,
0: you still have players like Katrina Allen, Sarah hokum Lisa Fakis, no, Haley I, King. I think I've all wa- of them when they when show I up. Watch when I watched
1: FPO Paige looks. So much better,
0: but she makes decisions on the course, and if it gets into a wooded technical course, that allow the other players to take the advantage on her.
1: Well, I'm just saying, it uh, surprised me.
0: She I, talent I, why she's, I mean, there's no question that she's by and yeah, far the well, best this player is, this in this is why field. I was surprised, but I think that the state of disc golf, both on MPO and FPO, there can't be that dominant of a player anymore. I think I, I think you're wrong. I think
1: well, while. All of the I know I'm right on MPO. All of the European players are still yeah, MPO for sure. While the European players were over like stuck over during the pandemic and Paige had the fuel that she had to work with, I think she could have absolutely won every event.
0: She could have. She was probably the favorite in everyone, but I think it's unrealistic to expect any player to perform that consistently good. And that's why when a player does, it is so shocking. I expect it. So just to be clear here. You're saying you can twist the words on the surprise player of the year enough to make Paige your surprise player of the year, but we can't twist the shot of the year enough to make Kevin the correct. shot of the year? Okay. That's exactly right. Well, we're correct. completely disagreeing on that. Can you at least, can we agree on Haley King being the surprise player of the year? Just because I get what no. you're saying, where it's surprising that Paige didn't win as much as she did. But the Paige only surprise still,
1: that Haley King gave me this year was winning the pro tour finale because I was surprised that you she kept disappointing me when I picked her top three every single week. But the week, fact that you're picking her top it.
0: three every week. That's not surprising. I was to only you? doing
1: it because I saw her throw and she looked like she had legit form, and then she just would not perform. I don't think. I don't think so. No, no, no.
0: So then who? I don't even know.
1: Honestly, I feel like if you don't, because Lisa, I would give it to like uh,
0: <laughs> Lisa Fakus, Sarah Hokum, and Katrina Allen. Were like and, and Ellen Woodboom. I mean, she, we, that's we, what I'm we look there were
1: surprise wins on the FPO, but there wasn't like a player who was like. But he, this is of the
0: year. This isn't like. I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't. That's one I don't performance know. Performance of the year is coming up, but that's not what we're doing right now. I mean, fine. Give it to Haley King. Whatever. <laughs> I feel like it's like in cars
1: where they like launch the trophy at the guy after he wins. <laughs> <laughs> Just like throw the trophy at him.
0: Like, fine, take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Final one for our awards. That is clearly and very unanimous performance of the year mpo and fpo lay it on me what is it what do you feel uh
1: well the fmpo is obviously dickerson USDGC.
0: yeah that's what i've written down i mean that was i mean that's a massive win for him and he just played good and all week fpo
1: I would probably give it to Haley King from the finale.
0: Yep. Okay, we can agree. You there could also
1: argue. I'm trying to remember. Was it Jonesboro that Paige won by like a million?
0: It was one of those. I think
1: it was Jonesboro. That's the other one you could argue, and she rated like crazy good. But I think you get see the, the Haley issue King with like because she won 20 grand and it was like the. That's goal.
0: what I'm saying. I feel like Haley King performance was like in a moment. Right. That was like much bigger than just like a Jonesboro. And plus, if you look at like performance of the year, Paige's dominant performance at Jonesboro, whatever it was that she won by as much as she did, was extremely impressive. But I think it being Paige that did it dilutes it a little bit compared to Haley King toppling Paige because of how dominant Paige is over the field. Allegedly.
1: Yeah, no, that's fine. I can accept that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right well it's time to finish that up let us know in the comments down below or message us um if you're listening to this on spotify apple Podcasts, whatever message us uh where you agree or disagree with us on the player of the year shot of the year surprise player of the year and performance of the year uh, we'd love to hear your opinions and um we'll be responding with counter arguments if you provide a, a valid argument against them except for the shot of the year because that's clearly kevin jones's ace on to trevor's trivia what do you got for me this week whatever
1: Um, so I kind of went in theme a little bit. Uh, the first two questions are kind of award theme. And then the last question is kind of an intro into our next topic on Mm, primes. Nice. So first two questions are kind of the same one for the men's division, one for the women's. So since for start with the men's since 1994, only seven players have ever won the men's player of the year. Okay. So what's that? 26 years. Can you name those seven?
0: Ken Climo. Yes. Paul McBeth. Yes. Ricky Wysocki. Yes. Now we get a little more. Now funny. we get, now we get Harry. One, Barry Schultz. Yeah, so you're missing one more obvious one. Um, Nate Doss. Wrong. He's never won a player of the
1: year? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> he is not. He, he was, man, he was in the thick of that Climo era, man. It was tough back then to win. And Schultz. Climo and Schultz won so many wow. back then because probably whichever one doss won that a year, sorry no what <laughs> it's a tough list <laughs> I mean there's
0: I'm trying to think of like uh, the, the so did Climo win up to Paul no so Climo
1: and Schultz won a ton of them and then there's a couple littered in there that like are just there's one-offs. one off I think there's one two people in here that were on there like one time angle McMahon
0: no, and then there's one you're guy on here that year, won it like there's
1: one guy on here that won it like three times that you would never expect. It's I really shocking.
0: thought Eagle won two years ago, 2018. I guess that was I Paul. think it was
1: Paul that year. I can verify this, but
0: no, I'm sure you're right. You're right. Jeez. Okay, so who do I have? I have Paul, th- Ricky, Climo, Kenny. Did you say Climo Kenny? I said Climo Kenny. I meant, meant Climo Barry. Barry. You're missing three. I mean, it could be like a, a random... It's like, not...
1: Well, one of them is a little random, but like I was thinking it them, could
0: be like a Feldberg.
1: Feldberg is one of them.
0: Uh, it could be... Um, geez. so I need two more. Player of the Year. Player, Nico?
1: Yeah, and he's won it like three times, I think. Okay. At least twice. Okay. And There's one more. This is the toughest one. And this one was like scattered right in the middle of the Schultz and Climo era, and it is a bit of a mystery.
0: Is like his name pretty big?
1: You would, you know, his name, but he's not, he's definitely not around anymore.
0: Like a Ron Russell? Mm-mm. That's too old. Too old. Like, well, a, no, Ron
1: uh, Russell actually won the world championship the year I was born, 99. Rick Vokes? No. Maybe give it to you. <laughs> yeah. Cam Todd.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I know that actually. I knew that because they, they announced Cam Todd as whatever player, 2003. Player of the year or something. Yeah,
1: some, I think it was around there. Jeez, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have remembered that though. Nico there was, no was when I was like, man, Nico cleaned up back then. But I can't believe that Barry won a lot more than I thought he did. Paul has like five. Ricky I cannot has three. believe
0: Nate Doss has not won a player of the year. He won three worlds. Like weren't they in a row?
1: I'm no, no. His three were spread out. I think. Well, I think he won maybe two in a row and then one more. I think he won. Man, I forget, but. Yeah, I think it must have been that every year he won a world title that won like either Barry or Klyma probably won US and a bunch of other stuff. Jeez. Yeah. So since 1997, only six players have won the female player of the year. Can you name them?
0: 97. Okay. So he's got got Elaine King.
1: Yeah. And actually she won in 97, but then after that, there's no more Elaine King wins since 97.
0: Elaine King for sure. Uh, Paige Pierce. Yeah. Um Katrina Allen. hmm Three more. Juliana Corver. hmm
1: Two more. Missing one that's very obvious.
0: My mind's going blank. <laughs> so I've named Elaine King, I've named Paige Pierce, I've named Katrina Allen, I've named Juliana Corver. Yeah. Who is the other like oh Valerie Jenkins. Yep.
1: And there's one more who has a lot of them.
0: There is one more player that's like, it, it's in the Elaine King, mm-hmm. Juliana Corver mm-hmm. type yeah. of a right. Des Redding. Yep.
1: Yeah. Well, congrats.
0: David I couldn't, Scott. I could that's not, that was the one that I was stuck on when I said yeah. Valerie Jenkins. I mean, those are
1: like the big six names yeah. in female disc that, that was a
0: lot easier than MPO. Yeah, MPO is a bit tricky. I feel like FPO is like, FPO where it is currently, I feel is like where MPO was years ago, where mm-hmm. there's still like a singular dominant figure the line's not obscured that much right there was like the page cat era where it was a little obscured but disc golf like back yeah. like there was a climo barry era you know there was always like one or two like dominant figures and now it's starting to get obscured it's and true. i think that's where fpo is heading um with the likes of hayley king missy gannon evelina solomon and henna bloom roos kristen tatar a lot of the fpo players who like over the next several years will obscure that page dominance. Yeah. Kind of like the Eagle, Calvin have obscured. That's the Paul a good, dominance. that's a good, that's a good point. It's like, it's kind of like FPO is just a little bit behind MPO. And I think that it's also, that's kind of why we're seeing a smaller FPO field is as more and more talent comes in, it gets more competitive. There'll be a bigger and bigger and bigger FPO field. Yeah, to good where point. it fills it out. But.
1: Okay. So the last question here is kind of transition into our next topic about, we're going to be talking about players primes. Yeah. So a player's prime can be attributed to many statistics, but it's hard to argue with cold, hard cash in which year did Ken Climo earn his career high in winnings?
0: And which, like I need to give you the year, obviously. Which year?
1: I think you'll be able to get this.
0: No, I won't. But yeah, you probably will. There's a
1: there is a, a road, a train of thought that you could get on to know this.
0: I'm not hopping on that train because I couldn't I even tell he'll... you I couldn't even tell you the years he won worlds.
1: But think about its earnings.
0: Yeah, so it's gotta be like his late dominance. Where I'm not gonna give you hints. Got to be when he won USCGC with 15 grand and Jonathan Poole rolled up. There you go. There's, but what year was the that? There's the chain of thought. I thought you knew it. I knew it. I don't remember it. 2007. Yeah. Correct. There All right. Go. Yeah. I found that's it a, that's, yeah, I was, it I was assumed, a slow train, but I hopped yeah, on. When I was
1: going to look that up, I was like, I bet it's 07. And he won 40K that year, which is really good for disc golf in 07. And I, it was, even if you take away that 15K, though, he still had one of his better earning seasons. Like he only 25. had 25. Yeah, like that guy was still one of his better ones, but um,
0: yeah, forty k that year, forty k in fit- two thousand seven. Yeah, pretty good. Um, so this next topic of when players in their prime was brought up by I actually don't know this guy's I can't I don't know how to pronounce this guy's username, but it's at deoxes Deoxys on Discord, and he asked us, "Hey, at Hunter Thomas and Trevor Staub, I have an interesting talking point: Is Paul Macbeth at the end of his prime?" This so, is a very interesting topic. Top I think point. the biggest part of this question is what defines a player's prime, right? Right. Is it the dominance on tour? Because like that's that's what I was kind of just talking about with mm-hmm. disc golf. And uh, since he's asking specifically about Paul, I think we're going to look a little bit more into the MPO. Um, what exactly like I, I think the question I want to answer is like at what point are you in your prime right. in disc golf and I think MPO has a little bit more statistics to pull from um, and it's going to be just kind of easier to stay in that one spot because I would imagine when it relates to MPO and FPO the age should be about the same yeah I don't know why it would change but it, the biggest question is like is it the dominance or is it Skill, Because up to this point, they've been basically synonymous on tour. If you've been the most skillful, you're going to be dominant. Exactly.
1: So, like, if you look at other sports, the way they talk about prime is typically a player's health as it relates to their performance. So, like, and typically those things are correlated. Like, typically when a player starts to drop off, Kobe Bryant's a good example of this. You know, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. But... When Kobe, that still seems so surreal. I know it's crazy. When twenty twenty, Co- heck of a year. I what know. the heck's going on? Keep going. When Kobe was in his, when he started to decline, a lot of that was related to the fact that, um, you know he had a lot of Achilles injuries, and you know he was just kind of getting dragged down by that. He was slowing down. You know he couldn't attack the rim as much. Yeah, that is what was attributed to Kobe's decline. It wasn't the fact Kobe won his last championship, I believe, in twenty. 10 maybe it was somewhere around there um a celtics won one around there too but he was still really good for a few years after but like i don't think and like the same thing with like lebron for example like lebron in his early days with the Cavs was on some pretty bad teams even before he took him to the finals but like he was still like performing so like in other sports it seems like a prime doesn't have to do with results as much as it has to do with performance because you can be but that is it's different in golf because in other sports like there's well, a lot more factors you have to say
0: basketball it's you're dependent on what your teams doing. but not necessarily
1: because you can still go to like points Well, per I mean game there's also like
0: I, I think the only thing you can really compare it to is golf because right. even if you look at tennis which is another individual sport there's more wear and tear on your body right and golf but now golf is... but you can't directly compare the age I'm saying yeah. as far as a players deterioration
1: right golf is is um probably pretty comparable and but golf I think you can be in your prime even longer than disc golf because I think a golf swing, you're getting help from technology to propel that ball. So there are guys well into their fifties who can still hit it with 20 year olds. I don't think that in disc golf, it's quite that severe where like you could be 55 years old and still be ripping as far as you were when you were 30. Um, but I think it's closer. Like I think your disc golf prime, um, can be a bit longer because it's not, you're not like sprinting full court for 40 minutes every game, you know? You're throwing shots and walking courses. It's straight on your body for sure. Yeah, it but is. it's a different type of strain. Right, and it's really like there's one big factor, and it's like how long can your arm hold up? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to say my stance on this is that um, your prime in disc golf is not measured by results. Yeah. It's measured by your um, ability.
0: Well, I think going forward, that's a very true statement. Right. I think if you look at the past, they're one and the same. Because to a certain degree. Yeah. Up to this point in the sport, up to the last two or three years, if you have been the most skilled in the field and the most like determined or whatever you want to call it, you were also the most dominant. Yeah, but what if you
1: were like but that's only talking about the best player in the world's prime? That's not talking about the guys who. But are,
0: I'm saying if you're looking at a player, like the question was directly correlating to Paul. Okay. So if you're trying to decide a player's prime, I think right, you can right. decide it based on their performance, and you can decide it based on all their performances. Yeah. Because of like, even a Ricky. you know, at what point is he in his prime? His prime might look different than Paul's prime, you know. But, but at what point is he performing consistently at the top? Right. That can't be true anymore because there's so many more variables in this. Right. You have wow. players like Kyle Klein able to come in fifth at USDGC yeah when you know whereas a few years ago a, a newcomer on tour that was very a lot less right. likely because the competition just wasn't there as much and
1: primes are tricky too because sometimes they have more to do with just like your physical health and they also has to do with things like just like how much work you're putting into the game like ricky for example he had the limes thing that's what set his game off the rails he's practicing yeah. and working and getting back where he was and luckily that he's getting there which is great for the sport but if ricky were to at right this instant never get Better, he just stayed here. His prime would have been passed, it would have been like 2015, 16, 17. That would have been his prime, yeah. So he'd be out of his prime if he never got back to where he was there, ability wise. Um, but with that being said, like primes can be weird because, like, you can have guys, um, like Ricky, who might have the thing with limes, he's not so good for a few years, but then he gets back to where he was two years from now. And now it's like, is this like a second prime? Like sometimes people argue that, that sometimes players have like their young prime and then they kind of fall off a bit and then like they work back to it and like in their older age, they develop a different game and like have a second prime almost like that stuff happens weird. Primes are so heavily debated and odd. I think like the biggest thing to like think about is like people are really just wanting to know like how long is Paul going to be competing for world titles, yeah.
0: right? That's the, I think that's what the question of prime is. I think they're using prime almost wrong. Cuz I think as I was about to say, I think that's where this question continuously stems from is when people ask is Paul at the end of his prime? Right. They just want to know if he's going to be competing 5 years from now. Like is he going to be like yeah. at the top of the game? Is he going to be dominant? No.
1: No. And is has, he
0: going to be competing at the top? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It 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 has more to do nowadays um the, that whole argument has less to do with what Paul's doing and more to do with the field getting stronger exactly because field's all, getting catching up all the guys before Paul um if we looked back at Avery Jenkins Nate Doss, Dave Feldberg Ken Klein, all these guys their prime like when they stopped like being able to compete um, was all around the same age like in their mid 30s which is pretty young considering like their physical ability it didn't have to do with the fact that their physical ability, had gone down it was the field that overlapped them okay the four like the forehand era came in these really like young athletic guys a new era of disc all came in and they just swallowed them up like they just well i think that's one thing
0: guys uh i have a lot of statistics at so first yeah. i think the first part of the question we're answering right now is strictly in relation to paul and in, in relation to like what is the prime but or like what is prime in relation to performance right the second half i want to talk about is just like prime and disc golf like at what point is a player because like in basketball i always heard like a player is in their prime when they're like 28 29 in basketball right that doesn't mean that a player like lebron can't be dominant into his 30s it means like at the player peaks around this age normally yeah what is that in disc golf Mm -hmm. that's what i kind of want to look like and that look at and that's kind of where i'm bringing in some of these people and statistics so if we look at ken climo the most dominant player in history um he reached his highest rating at age 34. He won his last world title at age 37 and won his last major at age 38. Mm-hmm. Barry Schultz reached his highest rating at age 36. He won his last world at age 34, won his last major at age 36. Dave Feldberg, highest rating at age 34. Nate Doss is the anomaly here because I think this is where all of this kind of he, statistics fall apart. Yeah, well, he bridges the
1: gap. Go ahead and read it. Yeah,
0: because he's... Only 35 currently. Right. He won his last world at age 26. Mm-hmm. So, this is where what you were just talking about kind of comes in a little bit. Yeah. He was
1: the bridge between the gap of like those guys. Like, if you take Ken Climo and Barry Schultz and those guys and you move them to like Nate Doss's age, the same thing happens to them. Yeah. They were now, they might have been a bit better than Nate Doss even in all of their heyday, but like Nate Doss got swallowed up because he. When he was young, he was still in that, you know, backhand, older technology discs sort of age where guys didn't have huge arms and big forehands, and he was able to succeed in that. But while he was still, you know, at like a good physical age to like have good ability, that's when that era started to shift, and that's where he got beat. Yeah. Um, If you take those guys like Climo and Barry Schultz in their games, because Barry Schultz, like I've watched him play now, like still a really good disc golfer. Yeah, he didn't have the distance that he used to, but like, you know... He's He's still still going to smack
0: around North Carolina pros.
1: It's just, yeah, it just comes down to, like, the top of the game just got, you know, saturated with guys like Ricky who are throwing 450-foot sidearms. Like, it just, it got really crowded up there, and those guys just got beat out. Because I I think, think, yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
0: No, sorry. So, what I was going to say is I think that, like, when it comes to finding out what's a player's prime in disc golf, like, what's the average player where they're at their peak, it's nearly impossible. Because yeah. of the fact that, you know, when distance starts to go down, right. a player normally is able to like Johnny McRae, he can still compete, you know, not as much as of like the past year yeah. or two, but he was almost 50, I feel like in, right. you know, upper mid forties. And he was still competing for US championships and stuff because he didn't have the distance. But he had the accuracy, right, so if you put him on the right course, he's still competitive exactly if yeah. a world's which it did when worlds fell at the right courses for him, he was competitive for a world title yeah. where you know he had the chance to win a world and a master's title in the same year, I think or something like that. I also think that he didn't um, do it, but he yeah. he could have age wise
1: I also think that this um you know, era right now, we are just kind of introducing, we've gotten to the point now where I think these athletes we have in disc golf are starting to get like, this is like the start of the modern disc golf era. So like Paul, for example, being age 30 now, he's one of the older guys on tour. That's like really good and really dominant. And, you know, is somebody who cares about his body and like trains. He's going to be like the first kind of clue into what that looks like. What, what do primes and longevity in disc golf look like? Like, you know, at age, you know, like as he gets closer to age 40, is he still going to be competing? He's going to be the first guy that we're like really getting a peek into that. Um, and I think he's going to be kind of the example for, and like, you know, if some if somebody like him falls off, then it's just going to be these other guys are just going to see that and be like, well, we better start taking this more seriously. We better like start putting a lot more attention to our bodies. So yeah, because I can playing. only,
0: you know, if I put in the same amount of work as Paul, I only can make it to age 35. Exactly. Or like, whatever it is. It's, it's going to come down
1: to like how many guys, I mean, you look at, other pro sports i mean there's guys like cristiano ronaldo who are like 37 and they're still running around in the bodies of 20 year olds because of how much they put in their body And a lot of that comes with money yeah i was going say lebron's but, putting a million in his body right, a year right i saw russell wilson the other day spends a million annually because he wants to play until he's you know 45 which like that's one thing but even without spending all the money you can do a lot more than i'm sure some guys do yeah a lot of guys do probably um to keep yourself in shape and it's just a matter of like how long do you want to play how long do you want to be at the top because, like, the I I legitimately, I'm a firm believer that the forehand era literally kicked so many disc golfers off the scene. Guys like, Nico is one of the rare guys that, like, he has a bit of a forehand. Don't get me wrong. These guys could all smash me with forehands. Yeah. But, like, we're talking about elite forehands. Like, Ricky was one of the first guys that broke onto the scene with, like, an unreal forehand who used it all the time and was just, like, beating people left and right with it. Guys like Will Shustrick... Um, Nate Doss are like two really good examples of guys. Cam Todd. Cam Todd's another one, yeah. Um, of guys who kind of got pushed away because they didn't have that amazing forehand. Um, and there's other reasons too, but.
0: Yeah, and it was like a, it was a thing of like adapt or. Right, adapt or die. Get swallowed. Yeah, I, And Nico's one of the rare ones in the sport, at least, that has truly adapted. Right. He has a solid forehand at the at the beginning. If you go back a few USGCs when he didn't have that forehand, He's he literally was developing his lefty, lefty backhand.
1: yeah. Which I really want to see somebody do that, please. I want to. Nico see was good at it, man. He I would want to do see an like ambidextrous three, guy get really whole good. Hole
0: three at USDGC, he would go lefty off the tee. It's awesome. Yeah.
1: I I'm just saying, like I think the forehand movement was like that. I don't think there'll be anything like that again in disc golf. The like movement. Like yeah, you could say don't, could make remember. an argument for that, but I don't think disc golf courses, one of the courses no. that encourage that's that. not going to happen. So now that that's happened, right? Now that the forehand movement is is in, and everybody knows you need a forehand to succeed. You know, guys aren't going to get pushed away from the game just because a new shot type develops. They know what they need. They need to have the distance to compete on tour and all the shots, and then you just got to keep yourself in shape. Yeah, and like stay at the top of the game. And yeah, the, the competition is going to get better. People are just going to keep getting better, but it's not going to be as abrupt as it was, where like guys just disappeared because they didn't, they couldn't compete with the guys who were just smashing forehands. all Yeah,
0: over I, I think it's kind of been cool to like the the era of disc golf we live in, right? We have able, we can look back and kind of clearly see some timelines. Like right. we can see Climo, when he first started, the people that he was beating at Worlds and stuff were not touring professional disc golfers. Mm-mm. They were painters and roofers and. Just like the guys that Michael Jordan beat in the finals. They all had extra jobs. Continue. Are you kidding Continue. me? I mean, come Continue. on. That's not at all what we're talking about. Continue. Ken Climo, though, he kind of ushered in the tour era. Because yeah. he proved, like, hey, not only can you do this, you can do this in make a decent living. And then that opened the door for players like, you know, there was a little bit, I think of an in-between stage where we saw players like Nico, um, uh, Shustrick and, and Paul are kind of in the same era. Shoestrick
1: and Nico were
0: about the same time. Yeah. And Paul. But, yeah. but I, I think that Nico kind of peaked a little before Paul's era began. Yeah. Sure. Um, so now I think that Paul has kind of ushered in this, not like Climo ushers in the tour era. Paul ushers in, the, I'm going to call it like the media era, the era of professionalism and yeah. eyeballs on the sport. Right. To where Paul ushers in outside sponsorships. You know, we haven't seen a ton yet, but you can see where the sport is heading that way. And I would think, and you know, from what I've seen at least, this has been kind of led in by Paul by like, because you know, yes, obviously a lot of this just kind of the chips are going to fall in the place no matter who was in that spot. Mm-hmm. But it's the the media treating this sport as real you know, the post round interviews. So a lot of this was happening, but to take it to the next step has kind of been happening. And that's the part that we're still in. Yeah, I agree. Um, Is this part where disc golf is kind of taking it to, okay, we have the touring schedule set up now. You know, this is being, you know, there's several 30 plus players that this is their full-time job. This is all they do. Uh, It's kind of just being ushered in by the Paul era. And what we're about to see next, I would be surprised if we're able to say this player ushered in this era. There's going to be exactly, another era. Exactly. but I don't think we're going to be able to tie it to a player. That's anymore. exactly
1: what I was going to say, and I and I hope that's the case. Yeah. I hope the net like the next era of disc golf is just there's just a bunch of people.
0: There might be a player like you know that stands out here or there, but I don't think there will be someone like Climo literally pioneered a, a big foundation for that. Paul was able to build his yeah. career on that led to bigger and bigger contracts, bigger and bigger you know, ways that stuff's being negotiated, agents coming into the sport, people like Adidas even taking notice of the sport, that kind of thing, you can all, like, I think disc golfers as a whole can kind of attribute that to the Paul era, the people yeah. wearing, the way they dress on the course, stuff like that. After this era, I think it's going to be, you know, we're still learning a lot about what disc golf's going to be going forward, yeah. Um, but I, I do think that it's not going to be a one-person thing going for it's just like exactly. in golf yeah. you know you, you saw don't. tiger woods is probably the last one maybe not show. the last but one of the last one-man shows you can you'll have see. and
1: yeah and you can have a run for a year or two and that's one thing but like i in the sport of golf there is just too much to it like golf will always be golf in the sense that it is random you can lose your game just like that one day you can just yeah. stop making putts and it happens to guys all the time jordan spieth is a perfect example of this jordan spieth on the PJ tour Within a few years, that dude had won almost all the majors. I mean, he was, he looked like he was never going to lose. He was the Tiger Woods and he fell off. And nowadays, he's still a competitive golfer. He's paid very well and he, you know, he's around, but he is not what he was during that little stretch. And like, we're going to see stretches like that, but we're never again going to see. And even Paul's, like, Paul's era of dominance wasn't even as dominant as. Climb no, because that's what I think saying. like. So Climbo it's slowly, yeah, it's slowly like getting a little bit less like possible for that yeah, to happen. Yeah, because
0: I mean, Climo won nine worlds in a row. I think right. Disc golf's always going to be, unless something drastic changes, disc golf's always going to be dominance is going to be by world titles. I mean, that's just how it has been, how it's going to be. Um, well, I mean, you could argue that that's and
1: players of the year and stuff. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, other than like the weird anom, like the anomaly of like 2018 when Barb'sby won, like. World titles have been decided by the best players in the world. Yeah, been won by the best players. In the
0: world. Um, so Climo won nine straight. Paul won four straight. Right? Yeah. Mm, three, three, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, four. He won yeah. four straight. Um, I would be surprised. I I would be surprised if we saw another stretch of even three straight. Right. I think the next player that's like, wow, this guy's dominant will win two straight. You know what I mean? I mm. think it's slowly going to be kind of filtered out like that. Because I think maybe it's he'll be, win
1: like three or five. You know, like... Yeah. Yeah.
0: We're never going to see 9 again. No. I'd be surprised if we saw 4 again. Never. You know, never. and I, I don't think, including Paul, I don't think anyone will ever get to 12 again that Climo has. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that Paul, I I believe... Does that count Masters, though, his 12? 15, and counts Masters. Oh, yeah. Okay. 12 is just pro. Yeah. Um, I think Paul could get to, like, 7, 8, maybe I, even 9. I could see 8 or 9, yeah. 12 is... I think 12 is off the table. Yeah. If you ask Paul, he'd say I'm being dumb that 12 is not off the table He's going and not only is he going to prove me wrong, but he's going to probably get them all in a row or whatever. Cool. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Do it. I'm sorry. 12 is off the table in my eyes because the it's getting harder and harder to win world titles. It's getting and harder it's, to win it all. Yeah. And that's not going to change magically. Yeah. So... Um, that's what I'm saying. Is like that type of dominance. We're just not going to see. Hopefully, I don't think we took it for granted. I think everyone understood we were in a moment of like, wow, we might never see this again. Right. Um. So when it comes to prime, I don't think that number exists yet. I don't think we know a disc golfer's prime yet because, like you said, yeah. this is the first era where the sport is established. Right. The touring pros are established. This is the era that's going to tell us our disc golf prime.
1: If you're quite, the base of that question is just wondering. Whether or not Paul is going to be around for years to come, that is true.
0: Yeah, Paul Ricky. I mean Ricky's on Ricky's what in his mid twenties. Yeah, Ricky's like, way younger. Yeah, Ricky's even younger. Maybe 26. So I mean, these guys, Ricky has ten plus years. Mm-hmm. I would bet a lot of money unless Lyme's flares up his Lyme yeah. disease flares up. Just Ricky as a player, I think has all the 10 all plus the years. big
1: dogs on tour right now. That like, if you look at the top five players, like if you're talking about like Paul Ricky Eagle Kevin Jones Heimberg, like these are young guys.
0: Kevin Jones might even have 15-plus years on tour.
1: Oh, yeah. Same with Heinberg. Yeah. So. so
0: if you had to, to wrap this whole kind of segment up before we get into the final segment, if you had to put, you know, if you had to bet your life, well, not even bet your life, you had to just pick <laughs> that guy way too serious, <laughs> way too fast. quickly. If you had to just pick a year and say, this is disc golf prime, or like this little range, what would you say? Are you talking right about now? an age range? An age range. This is, your, this is when why. a disc golfer is at the absolute peak so and everything after that's declining.
1: I'm going to say this number assuming that most pros, let's say pros are like really starting to fully tour around the age of like 18. Let's just say that. for It's really more probably closer to like 1920. But I would say it takes you a few years and then it could literally be from age 24 to 36. Like it's wide. I want it smaller. No, it's not. I'm saying it's not because it's if I when you say prime like that, like it's based off a physical ability, I want the and peak, you could be the average peak. Because, like, well, then you got to go off just what health people say, and then it's like you're, I mean, probably like your mid to, to late 20s. Is like
0: yeah, that. I was gonna say like 29 to 30. I that's think that's probably is,
1: when you're getting the most of like experience, plus you're still kind of young.
0: I think what a disc golf prime is gonna look like is kind of like you're climbing, you're gonna reach a peak and plateau for a while, and plateau. Yeah. So I think you're going to reach that. I think the disc golfers will probably reach that around the age of... Is Paul at his plateau? I think so, yeah. I think he's too. I think that he he'll... hates that. He hates that. It, but. I think that his... I think Paul's skill will probably look like this. It's here. I think he is about at this point where this... My hand is still going up a little bit. Yeah. But it's not going to be this drastic improvement that we're yeah, going to I'm see. not going to put a ceiling on Paul. Now, right now but <laughs> with PDJ ratings, it will not look like that. It will keep going up. Yes. Regardless, as that's long as a, a player is continue, <laughs> as long as a player is continually towards the top of the field, his rating will continue to go up because that's where the PDJs rating system is broken. All right, don't get him going. Rating inflation is a thing. Period. Uh, you Put know that on a T shirt. Yeah, I want to. I'd wear it proudly to every PDJ event. So regardless, ratings are going to keep going up, and we're but yeah, by the time by practice. the time an eleven hundred rated player comes around. Ratings will be abolished because eventually people will be like, okay, this is ridiculous. This guy who's 1090 rated is not actually that much better than Paul and Ricky were back in 2017. Yeah. Or 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that, you know, once you, I think that 28 to 30, you're going to plateau a little bit. And then how long you stay there is up to how much time you put in. Right. I think that players. In general, without putting a ton of effort into their bodies and stuff, will be able to be very competitive at that level to like 35, 36. And I think a player who takes care of himself and does, you know, work out and all of that, keeps up with his body, will be able to be competitive closer to 40. Sure. Um, And then I think that that is when you'll kind of see the decline in distance is going to be the biggest thing. Right. Accuracy ain't going anywhere. Putting ain't going anywhere. Yeah, it's distance. Distance is going to be the biggest thing. And as the sport progresses, that's going to be a big part in competing. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that answered the question. That was a long winded (laughs) uh, answer. But we're going to wrap it up with the final segment here, which is make that call. All right. I've got an interesting one for you that I think might fool you. We'll see. We will see. At this point, it's just make that call has turned into can hunter fool traver more than (laughs) teaching you about rules (laughs) so this is more of a course design question than like a um rules call but a hole tees off okay you need to really envision this hole because the hole is crucial hole tees off there's a double mando about 40 feet in front of you straight ahead double mando boom but then the hole dog legs hard to the left and basically makes a u-turn to where technically from the tee. The basket's way off to the left, but is short of the double mando.
1: Yeah. Okay. I get what you're saying.
0: Okay. A player on your ho- on your card throws straight at the basket. So just straight to the left at the basket. Ha ha ha. He's ten feet away. I like this. He's parked for birdie, but he hasn't gone. He in front hasn't of the mando. made or missed the mando. Does he get to tap out his two since he didn't miss the mando?
1: So the basket, even if he the shot lands in the basket, he hasn't passed the mando. Yet.
0: He never passed the mando, but okay. he also yeah, he never missed the mando. So he didn't make the mando. I'm gonna say that
1: his first shot is fine, right? He like he hasn't taken any penalties yet. However, the basket you cannot. I'm gonna say you cannot like make a putt. A putt cannot count if you haven't like taken on the mando. So either like I'm saying like the basket. It, vis- it exists in like this separate realm apart from the Mando. So, like, he is not able to finish the hole until he's taken on that Mando, either made it or missed it. So, no, he can't do that.
0: Correct. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the Mando. Crazy. The scenario, Mando though. must be made and simply not not missed right so the mando hat you have to go through the mando because rule 804.1 states a mandatory route restricts the path the disc may take to the target so basically a double mando is saying the disc must pass through here and this scenario actually only works with a double mando because if it's a singular mando the line that defines like the mando is perpendicular to the like flight or the path you had to go on. Ah. So if it's a singular Mando that's 40 feet off the tee and you have to pass to the right of it, it would continue where you couldn't cross to the basket. But a double Mando passes through both the, both trees or whatever and just continues that way. So if it's a double Mando, that's the only way this could actually happen. And it would be very confusing if that happened in a tournament because then the player would be like, well, I didn't miss the Mando. And you'd be like, well, you <laughs> didn't make the Mando. And it's like, well, which one is it? It's make the Mando. You that's, have to go through.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. Don't design a course like that.
0: Yeah. That's why I was saying it's more of a course design question because if that rule has to come up, it if means whole you screwed ex- yeah, up. <laughs> if a hole existed like that, it would have to
1: be like really thickly wooded. The so only like-
0: hole I thought of was that one at Clemson, right? It goes up the hill into the woods on a locomotive layout, it goes up the hill into the woods and then does a full U and spits you back into the same field with the basket. The far five? Yeah. And the only reason you have to go into the woods is there's one singular mando in there that of you have no mando on that par five mm-hmm. it's deep in the woods you wouldn't miss it um but it, it forces you to that you can't go just straight oh, up the field. so you
1: can't go over to the left around yeah, it i exactly. know exactly what you're talking about that's not a complete u-turn the basket's not behind the tee.
0: no 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 but if there was a double mando here right then the basket and right. the are in line. i do
1: yeah okay interesting
0: so that was the only hole i could think of that's like yeah because that, that one Mando is the only Terrible. thing making you go into the woods to then have to come back out <laughs> of the woods. That hole's whack. The, the whole the only reason we think that hole's whack is because it ate our breakfast, no, lunch, I and five'd dinner. fived it. My, my team fived it. We like messed around. Like 11 it or something. Yeah. We fooled around and fell in love. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening or watching, which I, however you could choose to consume this podcast. Uh, please, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Tell us what you think. Whether you love us or hate us, we read them all and we appreciate them. If you're here on YouTube, comment down below. Uh, Let us know if you have any topic suggestions for this off season. Um, You know, until the sponsorship stuff starts to pick up, we're going to need more suggestions like um, Deoxys, I really don't know how to pronounce your name, on Discord gave us. So we really appreciate those. Fire them away at us. However you want to get in touch with us, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Discord, or in the comment section or reviews down below. We truly appreciate all of it. And um, oh, one final thing, I almost forgot. This merch is coming soon. You might have noticed what we're wearing. If you're listening to the podcast, stay tuned to our social media. You will see it soon. Um, But if you're watching us here, this SF hoodie, the foundation, long sleeve, and some more stuff, some that we're not wearing, that we're hyping up, trust me, uh, it's going to be sick. I promise you that. I don't want to say much more because I don't want to spoil it. Uh, That's all coming soon. You'll learn about it. And we are, I don't think I've ever been this excited for a apparel drop. Um, It's very exciting. Yeah, this uh the people we worked with on this project knocked it out of the park and i'm over the moon excited for it so that's gonna be it thank you guys so much for listening we'll talk to you guys next week